Meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. This is Follow the Leaders on KCLR, funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee. You're very welcome along to Follow the Leaders on KCLR, where each week we hear from people who are leading the way, making the changes necessary to meet the challenges posed by climate change and are working to reduce their carbon footprint. I'm Deirdre Drummy and as always I'm joined by Robbie Dowling. Robbie, welcome along this evening. Thanks very much Deirdre. We're beginning our look at the circular economy this evening. What's coming up on the programme? Yeah, so later in the show we'll hear from the Head of Economic Development and Local Enterprise with the Carlo Local Enterprise Office, Kieran Comfort, on how small and medium enterprise can contribute to the circular economy through different programmes that they have implemented. Um, but first I caught up with the Director of the BA in Product Design Innovation at SETU Carlo, Hilary Dempsey, to chat about how the course links in with the circular economy. I began by asking him what his own position entails within the college. Okay, so I teach on uh, product design in SETU. Uh, Product design is often one of those disciplines that people don't get. Uh, So if I asked you what a furniture designer designs or what a graphic designer does, you'll know the answer straight off. But with product design or industrial design, as it's also known, uh, a lot of people don't get what it is. So we we look at all these products that are around us, uh, whether they be kettles, toasters, showers, uh, cars, People just automatically assume they're there, but product designers are behind those. And, and we try and make the the link between engineering and humans. So uh, engineers will produce the, the technical elements of the product. Our job is to make sure that those technical elements fit with human needs and human uh, wants. Um, and before we get into that, and it sounds really interesting, could you explain to us the course itself, the BA in Product Design Innovation? Yeah, so it's a, a four-year honours degree. Uh, students will come in, in into the first year and la- learn all the skills of, of being a designer, uh, sketching, problem solving, etc. They, as they progress through the programme, we work with a lot of uh, companies in the area, so they work on live projects um, and by the time they get to the, the fourth year, uh, we deliver a very different approach to coming up with new products in that we start with problems, we don't start with products. Um, so we ask students to go out and look for uh, problems within their area. It could be to do with people, it could be to do with certain industries. They bring those back and they research them intensively, talking to, to humans. And then they Uh, design a product around that need. So I suppose something that really differentiates us from other product design courses in in the country is that we look for real need. Uh, We don't want to be designing products that are superfluous, that are are just going to be in landfill in six months' time. That if they are designing it, that they're using materials in a sensible way and making sure that they're uh, functional and needed. And for students that go through this course, could you bring us through kind of the different stages of that four years? And then afterwards, once you graduate, what do you, what's the sort of field that you go into? You mentioned there design, but could you delve into further detail as to what that is? Okay, so as I said earlier, so the first year is very much about the skills. By the time we get into second year, you're looking at really delving into the design process and understanding how that works. By third year, you're working very much in groups Uh, and and developing that group dynamic and then by fourth year you're very much functioning as an individual designer. I suppose uh, 
something that we're very proud of, of what we do is the fields of opportunity where our students can go into isn't just product design. Uh, we teach them what are, are known as the skills of the future, critical thinking, uh, uh, critical decision making, um, working as part of a team. All those skills allow them to be transferable into any area of, of, of life. Um, in essence, if there's a problem to be solved, a product designer has brilliant training in delivering solutions uh, in, in those areas. So a lot of our students, why they might end up in traditional product design roles, um, working either in local companies around the area or big multinationals like the likes of Dyson or, or um, Flymo or, or one of those, um, they they can also work in other areas. So we, we've plenty of examples of, of graduates working in banks We've uh, and using their skill set, their design approach to, to to use a different approach. Uh, we also have um, students in other areas like um, medical device, uh, user experience, user interaction. Um, but I suppose what, what we're trying to do is make sure that anybody that comes on the programme has a skill set that's going to give them a career by the time they graduate. And how important do you feel are courses like this? Because in the, some of the research that I was doing, I found out that maybe it was a very sort of unique course in itself. There's not many like it across the country. Yeah, we we're lucky enough in that we are the first program of its kind nationally. Um, the, the program was developed in in 1971, so we've a lot of experience of design education and doing things a little bit differently as to how maybe they're expected. So traditional learning of this is A, this is B, and this is C, and give it back to me, is not how we do business. I think it's it's important that the programme gives students the opportunity to discover themselves, uh, discover how they can work through problems without being given the answer. Um, so we'll traditionally never go into a studio uh, to, to our students when they're working on projects and give them the answer. We talk to them about the research that they've found, uh, what it means, what people are saying back to them and how they interpret that information and how they want to proceed to a solution. Um, so it's about giving them a belief in their abilities, uh, but also giving them that skill set of critical decision making. Um, if we if we produce graduates that are going out just uh, taking instruction only, then uh, there's not going to be enough room out there for sorry, what I'm trying to say is that when hard decisions need to be made, you need that skill set ready to go. And if we move into product design itself then, and obviously we're focusing in on the environment and in this particular episode, the circular economy, how important but also how much of a key leadership role will product design and innovation have when we talk about tackling the current climate crisis do you think um i suppose it's it's one of those ones it's it's how you look at the problem um as uh, there was a great book released in the 1950s called the wastemakers which was looking at the the product design industry and uh, the commercialization of products um and it's still the same today um, the, there's lots of, of products being produced that are finding their way to landfill within within months of being produced. I suppose as 
educators in this area. Um, sustainable design has been around for a long time. Um, eco design has been there. Um, and I suppose we're not in the game of, of greenwashing. We don't want to just throw loads of sustainability at the programme um, so that people make it. So it makes it look like we are doing it, I suppose. What we do is more of a philosophy on the ground and it's built around ethics uh, and our responsibility, our responsibilities as designers. Um, so when students are looking at projects, we always make sure that they're engaged in what kind of materials you're using. Uh, are you going to be recycling materials? Can the product be disassembled when it's finished? Can the product be reused? Um, and can, has the product, and probably one that I push uh, more so is, has the product got longevity? Um, so we always give out about plastics being evil. Plastics aren't evil. Plastics are actually a brilliant, brilliant substance. The, the evil is how humans dispose of them. Um, I suppose the, 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 the best thing and worst thing ever de developed in, in, um, in my lifetime is waste management uh, systems because if you think about it, we've got this lovely green and blue bin outside and we put all our rubbish into it and it disappears and we don't have to think about it after that. Uh, but if you spend a day uh, in one of these centres and I had a, a, a brilliant project a few uh, years ago down in uh, Clare with a place called um, Wastelands and they, they take all rubbish and they extract anything out of it that they think is can be reused in any way, shape or form. And it's fantastic to look at it. And I think something like that is an experience that everybody needs to go through. To, to almost have that dawning realisation of where all their waste is going. Um, that it is, it doesn't just disappear. Um, so back to back to the point, plastic isn't a problem. I think it's systems that we need to be, to be looking at. And I think product designers are very good with their um, methodologies they use at designing systems. Uh, and looking at how we can educate people uh, to, to use uh, products better or their commercial habits. Um, so we all have a terrible tendency nowadays to just buy whatever we want, whenever we want. Um, it's never been easier. If I, if I said to you, go and get me a three-legged chicken, I give half an hour, you're probably going to yeah. come back <laughs> on the internet with a three-legged chicken. Um, and I suppose we have an ethical responsibility to look at ourselves as well as consumers as to how we consume products and how we dispose of them. I suppose for me, uh, there's a number of industries that need to hold their hands up and, and say that this is ethically not right. For me, the toy industry, toy shops, when I walk into a toy shop, I look around and I go, landfill. Um, and it, it is scary to think that uh, it is a commercial venture that's driving this, and it has to be. But I think as designers, we need to be able to find solutions to keep that commercial viability, but to make it more sustainable uh, and, and environmentally friendly. And something you mentioned there a couple of times was kind of the ethical stance that designers have to take when they're designing products. How has that changed over the years and where do you feel it's at now and is there still room for evolution with it? I suppose the ethics is something that keeps us on the right track. Um, it's there to guide us and, and to help us make right decisions. 
Um, on the programme, we very much engage in an ethical approach to new product development. We don't just produce things for the sake of producing them. However, in the last number of years, we have noticed a difference in the students that are coming in. The students that are coming in are more environmentally aware than uh, a good few years ago, where plastic was was uh, the, the order of the day and everything was produced to be thrown away. Um, nowadays, students are very conscious of those um, uh, ethics and responsibilities that they have, and they take to it a lot easier. Um, I suppose one thing we teach on the programme is just because it's been done like that before doesn't mean we have to continue doing it. So we always question why something is the way it is. Um, And the beauty about uh, design education, in particular product design, is that you can turn on the sixpence um, and spot uh, opportunities that that are there. A phrase that we use on the programme is trust in the process and follow the research. And If you do that in an ethical manner, then you're going to end up with products that are more environmentally friendly. And when we talk about ethics in terms of the environment and how that ties into product design, what are the key things you've noticed over the last maybe decade or so, for example, that have changed in terms of how products are now being made to be more, to use your word, sustainable, but also maybe more reusability with them and different things that people have heard over the years. Yeah, I suppose, look at one of the big ones when I was in education, we had this phrase called DFMA, which was Design for Manufacture and Assembly. Uh, and we've noticed now it's designed for manufacturing, assembly and disassembly. So that's something that every project that our students design, we meet, make sure to go, well, what's the afterlife of this product? It's not going to just go into landfill. Where is it going to go? I suppose the other big thing that is is um, coming true in, in the students' work is their uh, choice of materials. So you're getting materials that are a little bit more uh, recyclable. Um, and a little bit, uh, again, not using a material like bamboo for the sake of it because it is a recyclable material, but looking at different uh, types of polymers that are more biodegradable, um, that can break down easier in the environment, um, or that can be reused more so. So uh, trying to get away from the use of virgin plastics and start getting into more recyclable plastics. And just in terms of, obviously, you're far more educated on this topic than myself or most people. When you walk into shops nowadays, you mentioned maybe the toy industry, other kind of things that you'd go about in your daily life. Are there any key aspects that frustrate you or maybe trouble you more than others? Um, yeah, listen, as, as a, a discipline, product design... Uh, sometimes you have to look honestly at yourself and kind of go, are we feeding this problem? Uh, we're, we're the ones producing these products or designing these products. And I think that's one that's troubling for me. I suppose as I'm long enough in the game to, to kind of see the evolution of, of companies and where they're going. And unfortunately, the the one that's still there is that when students graduate, they want to work and they have a skill set. And I suppose the ethics of some companies might not be where they should be at um, and their job is still to produce as much product as possible in order to turn revenue. And that that's, that's what commercialism is. Um, but I suppose 
from my point of view, looking around, it's to do with a combination of legislation and uh, uh, education in relation to consumer behaviour. If we can start lining those up, product designers are there to answer the solutions or to answer the problems. They they have the, the skill set um, and they have the desire to do it. I suppose if you're employed in a job and you go in and you're told, listen, this is our latest toaster and I, you, uh, I know we only released one six months ago, uh, but this is your job, do it. A designer's going to do it. They, they, they have to put food on the table. But I suppose if designers get a bigger say at the table and kind of say, well, should we be doing that? Should we be looking at designing a toaster that is a little bit more uh, sustainable, that it could be modularised in that um, we could uh, get more use out of it, it could last longer, it's not going to the landfill as often. Uh, Think of it, if we design a toaster that lasts twice as long as a traditional toaster, that's half half uh, or fifty percent less toasters going to landfill, um, and that's something that, uh, as designers, if we're, if they're given the opportunity, the solutions are there, the approaches to work around these problems can be seen, but still be commercially viable. Do you think that's absolutely key that companies, um, entities, give designers who are educated have the knowledge that maybe other people don't have? that decision-making power that they can actually implement ideas that would be beneficial for the company in terms of revenue streams, but also environmentally sustainable and ethically just what would be right. Yeah, I think less uh, the, the, the power of, of decision, but more to be part of the conversation. I think um, designers have an innate ability to look at problems differently than other people. We, we think laterally, uh, we think outside the box. And sometimes when you're talking in groups of people that, that don't think like this, they kind of go, where did that come from? And I think the view of what product designers are needs to change a little bit in that we're, we're not just there to make products look good. Um, we're there to um, solve problems um, and give solutions that are ethically sound, environmentally sound, but more importantly, work for humans. And just to bring it back to something that you had mentioned, Hilary, um, in terms of consumer responsibility, I just wanted to pick up on that. What do you mean by that in terms of, do you think people that are going into shops, buying things, and as you say, we buy regularly and we buy when we want nowadays, do you think they have to look at themselves a lot more and say, I need to buy stuff that would be better for society, for the environment, and just generally. Yeah, listen, it's very easy for me to sit here and go, everybody should change. I think everybody should just begin to look at themselves first, and, and likewise myself. Um, we're all slaves to this this approach. I always need the new shiny thing. I think I, I have two daughters, and I think the, the phrase they used, I think some cartoon they watch is shiny miny. Um, <laughs> and I think that's, that's kind of instilled at such an early age that we always want the new best thing, the, the new iPhone, the new car, whatever it is. Um, and that's something that um, for us, we need to think, well, why are we doing this? So I'll give you a good example. Out cutting the grass recently, my lawnmower doesn't sound well. um, And it's amazing. The first thing that goes into your head is, I need a new lawnmower. Um, Rather than going, 
where do I go and get this fixed? And I think that's something as um, uh, in consumers that we need to address first, that buying a new replacement one isn't, shouldn't be the first port of call. The other one that I think is really important is community. Uh, if you think about it, uh, we all kind of live in estates. Well, the vast majority of us live in, in, in estates. And if you look around at every one of the houses, there's a lawnmower in every house. There's a strimmer in every house. And you kind of think, well, should there be? That lawnmower yeah. sits there for maybe three or four months of the year doing nothing. And then once the grass is cut, it goes back into the yeah. shed. Uh, so that element of community uh, with products uh, could become a lot more prevalent. And just finally, Hilary, before I let you go, to bring it back to where we started in terms of the course, how has the course itself changed in this aspect over the last five to ten years again? And how do you see product design and innovation and the course generally changing over the next while? Okay, so the the big change uh, so, listen, in the 1970s uh, and 80s, it's pure industrial design. And what that would have been is very much designed for manufacturing assembly. We would have got products and made sure that they could be produced, manufactured and sold. What's begun to change in recent years, uh, our programme changed to and added this word innovation in about 2008. And that forces people to think about what they're doing differently. So in other words, now, we don't just come in, as I said earlier, and produce product for the sake of producing product. There has to be a reason why you're producing it. And that can't, we can't just pluck that out of the air. So starting with a problem, talking to users, talking to individuals about their needs and wants and limitations, and finding solutions uh, that are innovative, both from a usability point of view, from a technology point of view, but also from a sustainability point of view. That's where the real innovation is, and that's where designers can play their part. And if people are interested in maybe applying or going into the programme, how would they find out more about that? Well, first port of call always is um, the SETU website um, and look for product design innovation. Uh, You'll get lots of information on the webpage there and I'm quite happy to, to answer any questions as well. My contact details are on there. I suppose for us, uh, if you're in secondary school, if you're somebody that likes doing stuff like DCG or art or engineering, that likes problem solving, likes the practical hands-on type um, programs or courses, then this, this course is perfect for you. Also on um, the 24th of this month, our annual exhibition opens up on the, the SETU website on the Kilkenny Road in Carlo. Um, so that's open to the public. It's free entry. And all our students across the four years will have loads of work up uh, showcasing what we do. Um, everybody's welcome to come along to that. Have a look. And if it's of interest to you, come and talk to us. Um, we'll be more than happy to, to show you around. You're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLOR. 
Now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Follow the Leaders on KCLR. I'm Deirdre Drummy and I'm also joined by Robbie Dowling. Robbie, we just heard there from Hilary Dempsey, who is the Director for the Bachelor of Arts in Product Design Innovation at SETU Carlo, who is our next guest. Yes, our next guest is actually our last guest on today's show and he is the Head of Economic Development and Local Enterprise with the Carlo Local Enterprise Office, Kieran Comfort. We touch on how small and medium enterprises can avail of programmes to help support their business and the circular economy, as well as the general change we've seen from local business around this topic. The first question I posed to him, though, was around his own role with the local enterprise office. So I'm Head of Economic Development and Enterprise in Carlow County Council's local enterprise office. So our remit under that is we have three pillars to what we do. Firstly, we do business support, uh, known as the Local Enterprise Office Programme. Uh, we do economic development projects and then we do special project development, including EU funding. So it's all about supporting business, creating jobs, placemaking, uh, marketing Carlo uh, Inc. And uh, working with a team of staff here in Enterprise House to basically do that with the business community and the wider community across Carlo. And that's your own role. Could you give us some background as well to the local enterprise office itself? When was it kind of set up and how, is it, how has it evolved over the years? Yeah, so to going back in history, there was a dissolution act of an entity that used to be called the County Enterprise Boards. Um, and there was a decision made by government to merge the county enterprise boards in with the economic development function of local authorities in 2014. So in our current format, we've been in place in 2014. Um, initially, we were set up under a service level agreement with Enterprise Ireland. It's all around business support under a number of pillars. So it was particularly around um, grant giving through Measure 1 grants, mainly for manufacturing and internationally traded services companies, and then general business support of the economy. And that could be anything from our student enterprise program, working with young people, to our management development program to a variety of things in between like women business programs and obviously as the years have gone on everything pivots and everything changes so like during COVID we had a number of COVID responses during if you look at the agenda topics over the last number of years from digitalization lean circular economy um, and all those particular other agendas so like you know we are meant to be very reactive to what's happening in the wider economy because ultimately companies have to react and in order to support those companies we have to react with appropriate products and services Obviously, being part of the local authority means we have a much wider remit when it comes to things like supporting social enterprise, things like supporting um, economic development projects, tourism, rural development in the context of things like town and village schemes. So as I said, the remit has changed over the years, but as I said, at the core of it, it's all about job creation. It's all about supporting sustainable jobs and really having an offering that's really cooperative in its approach. So in the end of the day, there's three pillars in every society. There's a business community, there's a community at large, and then there's the government sector. You know, it's our job really to make sure that everything we do is pillared around the three of them working together in harmony, that it's not about one pillar versus the other. And how important are environmental causes to the local enterprise office now, but particularly over the last five to ten years, I suppose? Yeah, I suppose uh, environmental issues in the context of supporting, obviously, like with all supports you go through, I suppose, a, a phasing of everything so like the first thing is it's it's like i think everyone always knew there was green issues and there was issues with challenges around waste but ultimately they were operating in certain sectors and technologies wasn't there but like the first stage of every issue whether it be y2k years ago or whether it be this issue is the whole issue of education and awareness do you know what this means in the context of my business and locality so while there was a very large narrative at global level and people were talking very much around the global challenges 
people really struggle in the early days to kind of talk about, you know, what does this mean to my business and what can I actually do about it? Uh, so like what it means to my business is, yeah, we're burning fossil fuels. Yes, we have, uh, we, we have a lot of waste products. We're not utilizing our waste to the best of their ability. And, you know, but the, like, the solutions wasn't out there. So there's definitely the first phase we always start with is education awareness piece. Like, do you understand the problem? And obviously, firstly, broadly at government level and agency level and then basically at client level. So that probably started around four or five years ago. And obviously the introduction of products like Green for Micro Products, which was our first kind of green product, which helps companies look at a project-based solution. So once you get past that awareness piece, it's really around, you know, what can my business do? Uh, so as I said, local enterprise office at that stage would have been designed a number of different initiatives and the green for micro products and uh, various green training, green awareness, obviously the issue of green, green procurement is coming down the road. So it's really around looking at the competitive landscape because at the end of the day, commerce is about making money, creating employment and all those kind of aspects. But, you know, the green agenda comes into that, but it has to come into it in the context of a competitive argument. And I think that's where always the challenge was. So what I've seen in my career over the last number of years is like, you know, this awareness thing is one thing and people educate themselves. But now we're very much kind of transitioning to, uh, you know, past the narrative, past the noise, past the kind of lobbying. It's really around, you know, what, what can I do myself in order to be more green in the context or use use the resource available to me in a better way? Efficiency and the whole issue then of lean as a, as a, as a product. And I suppose we've done a lot of work with clients over lean, which is probably the simplest version of green in some respects. So looking at things like, you know, what way you're currently doing things? Is there is there efficiencies you can do in really simple terms, really quick wins? So if you look at like we've clients who um a lot of clients who work with timber and like, you know, you go to some traditional uh, woodworking shop ten years ago, sawdust everywhere, um, you know, bits of waste wood everywhere. What do you do at the end of the day? Ash, we burn it, we do whatever. Now people are doing things like, Oh, we make wood pellet burn chips and they're building into tech and things like that. So like people are looking at waste in particular, because obviously waste now costs money as well to process, which is a positive thing, you know. So and then it's interesting that you mentioned that there at the end around the timber and waste, sawdust and stuff, because the circular economy, how important is that when you're kind of describing to businesses how they can not just improve the environment, but also utilize that for the, as you say, for the commercial purposes? Yeah, I suppose we probably, the, 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 the word circular economy, and we always, one of the things we always do here as a local enterprise office is you have to put in the language that the business person understands. So if you ask just two and a half thousand business people in Carlo, like if you ask them, what does the circular economy mean to their business? We're speaking in a language to them that's not their everyday language. So the first thing we have to do when we're designing programs is we need to say to ourselves, well, actually, what language do we put it in currently? So, for example, we're currently running a project called Optimization Plus. It is a green project. It is a circular economy project. But the messaging is very clear. You can optimize your business better when it comes to waste. That's a language SMEs understand. And therefore, what we're asking them to do over a short period of time is saying, well, listen, we're going to help you design a project around your waste. So the first thing is we often, we have to put in the language of the SMEs. The broader issue when we're reporting is that we put in the language of the circular economy, but more and more people are looking at waste, they're looking at things. And often we find when we do these type of projects, it could be really simple things. Like, for example, you know, we run meetings here at the odd time, they're lunch meetings. You know, we don't order platters of sandwiches anymore. We email the people and say, what do you want? What sandwich do you want? So we've no waste. Yeah. So it's all like a lot of it can be like waste avoidance rather than something else. Yeah. So like some things are really simple. But once you introduce the language into SMEs, they kind of say, oh, that's not for me. So what we try to do is break it down. Lean in particular as a project, as I said, and we've done various versions of it, works extremely well at that. So if you have somebody, particularly around the manufacturing sector, you know, if they can look at the byproducts they're making and say, well, can we actually reuse our byproducts somewhere else in the factory? Can we resell it to somebody else? Can we work in partnerships? So like, 
you know, generally it's around opening the eyes of people to say, well, actually, this is what lean is about. This is what green is about. Did you know it's part of the circular economy? Did you know this? And then they can say, well, actually, just, I'm, I'm doing a circular economy project. I can then use for for my business marketing. And then I, in marketing speak, circular economy makes sense, but it didn't make sense to them there. And that'd be common across everything from, you know, innovation, all the business buzzwords, all the buzzwords are in every sector. The first thing we have to do is break that down into a language that entrepreneurs understand and then basically say, well, actually, what can my business do at this small scale level? You know, most of our businesses, it's different if you're a Tesco or a Markshop and Dome and things like that. They look at these things in a very different way. If you're a small business with 10 or 15 staff, you're busy running your business. It's very hard to take that time out. So we can break it down and say, listen, look at one project and we'll work on that one project. And when they see the success of that one project, they'll say, actually, I'll work on another project. And there's two projects you mentioned there that I want to pick up on. Uh, Optimization Plus, first of all. Could you explain to our listeners what that is? Yeah, so Optimization Plus is basically, uh, the best way to describe it, it's a pre-development for green or lean. So we find a lot of people understand in broad terms what green for micro is or green or lean for micro. So one is looking at efficiency, one is looking at green technologies for your business. But if you ask them for their business to apply for a product or support from the state, they don't know what their project is. So what it is, is it's basically a one-to-one intervention where through Carlo Tourism and the Chamber are working together uh, to identify clients who want to do small projects in this area. And basically we help them design the projects in order to avail future supports. Because what's happening, people, like it's all about breaking down the barriers of support. They might be really interested in lean or green, but they just can't think of the project in the context of their business. So there's a methodology of firstly understanding that education piece. So we go in and we look at this you know, there's around 20 or 30 stats we look at for a business. And then we say, well, actually, from an efficiency viewpoint, maybe focus on this area because... So we give them that advice. At the end of it, they get a report. And then basically with that report, they can then go off and get further supports. And the other project that you mentioned there was Lean. What What is Lean? Yeah, so Lean for Micro is a product available from all the local enterprise offices. So basically, it's looking at um, lean principles in business. So whether business products or service business, we can do either way. But basically what it is, is once you have that project, it's looking at how you implement it. So a lot of, for example, our manufacturers would look at, well, it could be shop floor design. They're overhandling materials. They're moving materials too much. So you'd look at a lean project or lean manual or lean process. So as I said, that's the Lean for Micro process provides companies with a number of days consultancy to allow them to basically implement lean projects. And what are your main aims and objectives when you put these projects in place? Yeah, our, our main objective is creation and sustainability of employment. So like when we're looking at this is all about efficiency, it's all about capacity development. So like from an aim viewpoint, when we do a lean project, it saves money for the company. So that saving of money makes the company more competitive. So the principles of all of our products, whether it be lean, green, management development, is around the whole competitive agenda, the whole sustainability agenda, and making sure it's economically sustainable um, as well as otherwise sustainable. And in terms of just giving us a bit of an insight into the projects themselves, how do they start? What's the process like in terms of from the beginning to putting them into place? And how successful have they been over the years? Yeah, it depends, it's, it depends on a number of factors. Um, I think the first factor is the entrepreneur or the owner-manager has to be fully committed to the, what they're doing. So the, the commitment of the management team is really critical. I think the other thing is, depending on the size of the workforce, getting the workforce on board when it comes to implementing technologies. Success viewpoints, like basically we measure the projects before and at the end. So for every project we've done, we know exactly financially what they've saved or they've been efficient. We also know what they might have to invest to do it as well. So for every company that does that process with us, we have the exact figures of this is where they were at the start, this worked at the end, uh, this is what they achieved, this is what they invested money and time-wise in order to do that. So we measure it. Like It's all about measurement for us. It's all about measuring efficiency because 
for companies it should be all about measuring as well so that financial measurement is the ultimate so annually we would we do that in partnership with enterprise ireland enterprise ireland will release stats about on average obviously the one thing about our service is everything's confidential so i can't go through actual examples with you uh but as i said annually we would then say on average people would save 30 40 000. it depends on the business we've had businesses who save three or four thousand We've some examples of people who've saved over two hundred thousand. It all depends on the business. It all depends on the project. It all depends where they're coming from. Because a lot of it you find, particularly with businesses that are maybe slightly older, you might have had succession planning or other issues going on. You know, if there's a major shift in the way they do things or how they manufacture, it can make a massive difference. You know, so. And in terms of the projects that you put in place, have you maybe noticed a trend over the last number of years that they are more concentrated on environmental causes than maybe in previous times? Um, it's it's a narrative that's there. Like entrepreneurs, in my experience, like they're driven by the fact that they want a competitive business, and the environment is part of that. Being a good member of the community and a good employer is another part of that. So it's one pillar that's consciously on the minds of entrepreneurs. Is it the main pillar? From time to time, people, particularly with energy costs rising in the last period of time, like there has been a lot more focus on it. But it has said the motivation for them is to have a good, successful business, to be a good employer, to be a good green employer, to be, you know, all those other things that they want to be. Uh, and that varies, from, again, from entrepreneur to entrepreneur. People are very different about it. I think people are becoming their, what we're finding now is like, they now have to make habit behaving change your decisions. So if you look at like this year is probably the first year we've seen SMEs talk about electric fleet and what would that mean to their business and like if they do it, how do they deal with their employees and recharging vehicles? Do they bring them all back? Like there's whole there's with all these kind of implementation of technologies for lean or green or for uh, the circular economy, there's obviously a cost an opportunity cost from a money viewpoint, an opportunity cost from a staffing viewpoint. But what's really important is that, you know, they have the conversation, they evaluate one versus the other. Uh, so we've seen massive upsurge in people doing solar panels and other tech around the energy costs and things like that. So like it is something that's it's on their minds, but as I said it's it's just it's it's a challenging narrative for business people. Like if you can imagine you're running a small business in, in Ireland Inc. at the moment. So you're facing challenges of staff, rising costs, international issues that are affecting your business which you can't control. And next thing you have the environmental issues and other things. So like Business is challenging. I always admire entrepreneurs. I have to say it takes great gusto to be an entrepreneur and to survive in it, and especially for a larger SME. So, like, they have lots in their mind, but really that focus piece is really important. And particularly there, you mentioned small and medium enterprises. Is it important that there's communication both ways and um, that they're kind of work with rather than certain things are put upon them? Yeah, no, there's, there's like, regulation has its place. Absolutely, regulation has its place. And I think it's really important that regulation is designed to be a catalyst for change for the good for the betterment of society in general and that's the idea of regulation but i think the other thing is like no matter what agenda like entrepreneurs have to come on board and i suppose but it should be seen as a collaborative process i think to be fair to the various governments and departments this whole thing of engaging with industry and discussing things with them and discussing how we implement things is becoming much more commonplace in the last 10 15 years of that i've seen and that's really important that the narrative, if you look at things like the retail forum and things like that, that, you know, government ministers, ourselves, uh, departments, funders, we're all briefed, but it's a kind of a collaborative conversation uh, between business community, government in large, community in large. And I think that's what's really, like when you see the projects that work really well, 
uh, and if you look at things like the rural funds under like town and village schemes and things like that that's a collaborative conversation and there like everyone everyone gets on board with one vision we all drive forward with it and yeah regulation is a really important part of that and you know i can't i can't negate the requirement for regulation but at the same time there is a bit of both but i think the other thing and i keep coming back to it the attitude of the entrepreneur like how they want to adapt this for their business their own personal thoughts on it as well you know so and that's something that I was going to pick up on as well. What is the general tone of entrepreneurs of small and medium enterprise owners when it comes to sort of implementing ideas that are environmentally supportive? Is it that, that they also have to be commercially responsive as well? Yeah, it's a bit of both. It depends on the entrepreneur. It depends where they're at in their life cycle. You know, it depends. You know, if you look at any business, like they have to make competitive decisions for a competitive business. Like, you know, and... Like the cost of tech for green is dropping, you know, the secular economy tech is dropping. There's more options on the market. Like, you know, so uh, obviously COVID accelerated things like the remote working agenda and certain things like that. Uh, but like, you know, it all depends on the entrepreneur. It all depends on, I suppose, the econ- economics versus social. Like in the end of the day, entrepreneurs are in business to employ people and make money. So they they generally make business decisions in that way, but with a social conscience. So if you know, you can only see some of the international issues over the last number of years and how businesses made a social decision rather than an economic decision. But, you know, it's a real conscious thing that they do saying, well, we, we can't base our entire business on social decisions. We have to have that economic decision is. I think the challenges around like upfront investment where you have to do large scale investment or systematic change. But there's been some fantastic like case studies around the country around technology introduction. You know, people, there's a project up in Cavan. It's um, it's CombiLift. Um, they do they've their own um, wind farm now for their factory. Like, and obviously larger companies can deal with things in a different way. Like like so you're seeing fantastic case study examples now, which I I think is great because ultimately if you have the Tesco's and the CombiLifts and the Burnsides and those large companies saying. Um, you know, these are projects I can do. There will be a smaller version of that project in years to come. And that provides, I suppose, the leadership from a point of view of business saying, well, other people have done it, they've invested in it, it's worked. Now, they hopefully will iron out the kinks and then you'll go next after them as an SME community. And very finally, Kieran, are there any projects currently in place, we mentioned a couple of them, or that will be there in the future that local businesses here in Carlow can avail of from the local enterprise office? Yeah, we're going to, like, it's a good, the Minister announced there's going to be more offerings around the green and circular economy um, later this year to be announced. Um, I think at this stage, like, a lot of our sports are based around design of projects, so uh, the next stage will be very much around how do we implement those projects. So that's what's coming down the track for us. The main thing we'd say about local enterprise offices, your local enterprise office, like a community, attend a networking event, drop into Enterprise House and have a one-to-one meeting, have a chat with us. So if you're interested in this subject but don't know where to start for your business, just drop in and have a chat or ring the office and make an appointment. That was Kieran Comerford, Head of Economic Development and Local Enterprise with the Carlo Local Enterprise Office there. And Robbie, unfortunately, that's all we have time for on today's programme. Yeah, that's it for this evening, but we'll be back next Wednesday just after 6pm to continue our conversations on the circular economy. And don't forget, you can listen back to this show and all other episodes of Follow the Leaders on the KCLR website at kclr96fm.com. Follow the leaders, meeting the people who are making the changes needed to tackle climate change. A KCLR production funded by the Broadcasting Authority of Ireland with a television licence fee.